0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. We only have one more episode left before we close out season four. Then we are taking a two-week break, and we'll be back with a brand new season five. So make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you'd like to be a part of the Patreon community, make sure you go to patreon.com slash Hale. Today, joining me on the show is social media influencer, photographer, and content creator. He's also an LGBTQ and mental health advocate, Owen Pearson. Owen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me, Melinda. Like, I am so excited to be here. Like, we've been in this allyship program together with Yahoo for almost a year now. So it's nice to put faces and build these relationships as we continue the allyship.
0: Absolutely. And every time you've spoken uh, in allyship group, I've always appreciated what you've had to say. And just in the last few months, um, in some of the statements you've made on social media, I was like, I have to have him on the show and and have a conversation with him because just your heart your spirit and what you stand for, um, is so important right now. So I kind of want to uh, go back because there's so many layers to what you yeah. do and, and how you use your influence. Mm-hmm. And I know you, uh, matriculated from the East coast to the West coast to become a full-time influencer. So for you, why was yes. that the right decision in terms of moving and was there a particular moment in your life that kind of pushed you in that direction?
1: Well, I really appreciate you giving me this space, first off, because, you know, you are a Black woman, I'm an Asian gay man, and we come from different backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. And I've always known, especially being a Hapa, my mom is Japanese, my dad is white, that I grew up my whole life with these different dichotomies of how I saw myself and how I was Mm -hmm. raised, you know? Because my parents, I was their firstborn son of three boys, they were missionaries before they were married. Um, They worked really hard in the church that they grew up in to build a life that they thought was the best life for God and the world that they wanted to see for their future and the, for their kids. And I was their firstborn son that brought them that hope and that love. And as a baby you don't expect anything. You don't do anything. You just poop, you eat, you sleep <laughs> and you, you you get loved. You you right. receive love your whole life, right? Yeah. And then when you at one point in your life, you realize that no, I have to I have a responsibility on this earth to give back. And I was given that responsibility from a very young age. Mm. I became quickly, quickly became one of the main faces in my church, if you will. I was an influencer in my church before an influencer was a thing in social media. <laughs> I like to tell it like that. I, you know, I was that. always just, I was always against the grain. I, I'm left-handed and in Japanese culture, being left-handed is seen as like really bad because especially for women, if you were left-handed in the in the, back in the day, you weren't allowed to get married. Wow. Um, really intense, really intense cultural things where they saw left-handed people as less than. And then from a young age as well, I, I knew I was always different. I always had same-sex attraction. I always saw boys as something I wanted to connect to, like, on a more intimate level. But then I was told from my parents and my church that homophobia, uh, homosexuality is wrong and, you know, homophobia is the way of life. And our church's foundation was based on men and women. So I grew up from a very young age, very Christian roots, very roots based in a church that really saw the beauty in creating a family centered on God and centered on bringing about what Jesus's mission was and bringing about what Adam and Eve couldn't do, just very rooted in this religious sect of bigger purpose. And I, I took on that role so seriously as a kid. Mm. Um, I homeschooled myself when I was 16 years old in high school, because I was severely bullied for being Asian, severely bullied for being gay. When I didn't even come out yet, I was just in the closet, but people could probably tell because of my mannerisms or something that I wasn't sure of. And, I homeschooled myself. And from that moment, that was my big moment. Cause from there I got more, I got pushed by God and the universe and my friends and family to be more of a youth minister in my church. I had more free time. So what I did was I took on the role of youth pastor very quickly. Um, and as I got into that role, more and more of my friends, my age and older started leaving the church. Um, I, I I just listened to your podcast episode earlier today with Sarah Jake's Sarah Jakes Roberts, and everything she said is honestly how I feel. Mm. She is really an embodiment of what my spirit. I wish I was, and that sometimes I'm trying to be because I am one of those hurt people she talked about. I've been so hurt my whole life. You know, I've had to live this standard of life without ever having my voice heard. Yeah, and now my voice is being heard because so many of my Asian American brothers and sisters are getting killed. Something that you are too familiar with, and you're in your, in your life. Yeah. And it's really yeah. it's really hard to be in this space now where I feel finally heard, but it's not even my voice. It's like the voice of millions of people that need that have never felt heard. Yeah. And you know, I'm a very I'm a very private person in many ways. Like I grew up very much focused on quality time and one-on-one relationships back home where I had to develop relationships with these these kids in the church that were focused on finding faith, discovering if God is something they wanted. But ultimately how do we do that with people we don't know? Or how yeah. do we do that with people that we're trying to get to know? And that I built youth group programs focused on character development, focused on bonding as friendships. And there were many moments where these kids, you know, they didn't have enough food for things, or they didn't have enough time to do things because of their extracurricular activities at school. Or there were just moments where their parents were so busy with church work that they couldn't even go to youth group unless I physically drove to them, picked them up, brought them to youth group, and then brought brought them back home afterwards too. And I'm balancing a full-time job. I'm balancing a full-time college. I'm balancing all my own personal life, but my heart was focused on these kids because when I was a kid, no one did that for me, at least in the moment that I needed. I had older Mm. brothers and sisters that helped me, but I could never speak up about being gay. I couldn't speak up about my depression or anxiety. I just was holding on to way too much. And that built up to my point of moving to LA where the year before I lost two of my best friends, one to overdose and one to a car accident. And they were the same age as me. And that changed my whole life because I was like, why did why are they not here? Why do I get to live when I don't even want to live? Right. Why did why are they gone and I'm still here? And that made me push myself to go to LA because I saw opportunity there, I saw photography there, I saw something different for me. And I had no job lined up. I just drove cross country and made my way over there. And I'm actually doing a series right now on my page called Author of My Own Story, because that's mm-hmm. been my slogan for my whole life, my mantra. And I'm doing a once a week thing every Friday where I share, because I'm, I'm very much a documented person. Like I've shared every moment of my life. I'm very vulnerable on my page. Yeah. I've shared all of it on social media. Like I don't hide anything. I share the good, the bad, the ugly, the cute, the, the stupid, whatever it is. I share it because like I'm a very in the moment person. And I, yeah. inherited, that, I inherited that from my parents because that's what they are too. They've sacrificed so much to build their life. Even though I don't agree with certain things, I can respect their, um, their integrity and who they are. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm doing this series where... I'm going back, literally just resharing my posts and content, but in an organized way so when people have time or space to know who I am versus just this famous quote unquote influencer or this person who's killing it in the field. It's like, no, but I have a past too, just like you. And these are the moments that got me to this point. If you want, if you want if you want want to if you want to look at it, please do. I'm putting it in an organized format for people to understand who I am.
0: And what I love about your entire story and the fact that you are vulnerable is so that people feel that you're relatable because you know when you see a lot of influencers that have hundreds and thousands of followers, they have the blue checks or whatever, people will naturally think, well, there's probably nothing about them that I can relate to. So the fact that you're opening up yourself to people sharing your story, it's going to probably save lives Owen. I'm going to be honest with you, it probably yeah. will. But it it gives you this sense of humanity, you know, that you're not a a celebrity, you know, on social media, you're a human (laughs) and you've had real human moments. And I think that we're getting into this, um, I don't wanna call it a trend, but I hope that it it sticks just of people being more authentic because you have seen like the fake uh, creation on Instagram, the overly Photoshopped things, but now we're starting to see people like, hey, this is is my face without makeup, or this is what I went through, or I battled depression. So I think Mm -hmm. that, influencers going that route is so important because we need people to see influencers as humans and they need to be relatable. I mean, I just talked about this with yeah. another influencer on on my podcast about an influencer by the name of Rachel Hollis Who said like I'm not trying to be relatable And I was like that's the whole point of being an influencer People look up to you like why would you Not want to be relatable that doesn't make yeah, Any sense to me you know exactly. So I, I love agree. I love that that's how You're using your platform So in terms of being an influencer And with all of the mm-hmm. uh, issues that we've Seen you know with racial injustice With LGBTQ mm-hmm. rights, women's rights You know I, the list goes on it you does, know, it I've does. always I've always used my voice To, to put a spotlight on those issues and I think that that's what's propelled me forward but at what point do you think that people just have a responsibility to have to talk about those things when you get to a certain level of influence
1: Mm. no I appreciate your words of wisdom and encouragement like that means so much to me because of course I, I always tell people also, and I, I tell myself this all the time, like I'm not trying to become an influencer or a celebrity, but that's what everyone in the world kind of wants. Like when you go to schools now, kids are like, I want to be a YouTuber influencer versus like, I want to be a teacher or a doctor. Like yeah. when did that shift, when did that shift change? That means there's yeah. there's a level of importance and integrity that has shifted in how we absorb content how we absorb um, personal growth and self-worth. Yeah. And you know, I got my degree in psychology and education. Like I, I did that for my own my own personal life so when I hear th- these kind of questions I really go deeper into the mindset of who we are as individuals and what are we seeking in this short life or this long life however we see it mm-hmm. and one of my own personal goals is I really don't want people to want to be celebrities anymore or see that as important like yesterday was like the Grammys or Oscars right I don't even know I didn't watch it like I don't have that mindset or time to like invest in other people's successes. Like I'm happy for them. And like, there were so many big moments for the API community yesterday and yeah. the black lives matter movement and just things yeah. that are important, but we can't put people on pedestals that are doing the, that work and see ourselves as not a part of that story and narrative. Right. We are just as important as those people getting rewards and acclamations and all these amazing, amazing accomplishments of the hard work that they've been doing, but we need to do the work ourselves. And I've seen that for myself the moment I spoke up after I did a clubhouse meeting with Eric Toto, the global marketing director of Facebook and Instagram. He invited me to that and then he pushed Instagram's team, their whole team, to use my video of me speaking up in their AAP guide to stop Asian hate. And if you look through that guide on Instagram, I'm one of the only faces there, visible faces, everything else is a graphic or a quote or a resource. There's maybe Mm -hmm. one of, there's one other face, my friend YK, but I'm one of the main faces and I'm number three. And when you put a face to something that says stop Asian hate, you're going to get hate you're going to get everyone who doesn't believe in that phrase, doesn't think it's right, or the people that actually are part of white supremacy and the problem in this world and this nation. And I got the brute force of that. I really did. And it was very emotional as As an individual human being. It hurt me to levels. I didn't even know I had hurt, but as a person who's Asian American, it hurt me more and gave me more invigoration and fire to fight this fight even more. And create this group of people. I've, I've been calling the Asian Avengers where we're working together to combat this and do bigger things. than we are, and now I have a whole team of people that support me and I support them. And I've been seeing the work since I moved to Hawaii of the healing. Like mm-hmm. I thought in the past, like I had to get rid of my church background into my youth pastorship, but that's a part of me and I'll never get, it'll never be gone. It's always who I've been yeah. by kind of, hi- I hid that part of me as an influencer. Cause I thought those two couldn't connect but I've been meeting so many people here. I'm from Virginia and the, the Virginia slogan is Virginia is for lovers. Mm. And since I've been here, I've been connecting with other people that have a connection, a deep connection to Virginia. And we've never met before, or talked before, but we meet here and we've, t- we've talked, we've and share our stories. And it's so beautiful. It's so humbling that we can find ourselves in Hawaii bond over something that is so small in many ways, but for us, it means so much. Yeah. And it's so beautiful.
0: That's amazing. You know, when you see influencers now posting about, Mm -hmm. you know, these issues, do you feel that it's coming from an authentic place or do you still think we're seeing a lot of performative advocacy? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, as someone who's been accused of it and and had to reflect on that word and what that means, Mm -hmm. I always try not to see people from a place of judgment and shame or um, resentment or comparison mm-hmm. because I I felt all those things in my platform and in my upbringing as a closeted gay kid. Um, and I, I really, truly like to believe in the good in all people. So yeah. I think for the most part, everyone is just trying their best. They're, you don't know where they're absorbing their content. You don't We don't know their backgrounds of what they've been through. And if they're sharing something, it's utilizing their platforms. It's utilizing their voices to at least start a narrative in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And hopefully at least in their own like as much as they're doing online, I'm sure offline is a lot more going on. And God and the universe really works. Once you speak up, once you put in the work, you are out there, and now like your mission is more visible to the universe and the energies working around. And you're gonna get challenged in ways that you never thought possible, yeah. or never thought yeah. you, can, you thought you can handle. But now that you've spoken up, even if it's just a, a sharing a story, even if it's just having one conversation or standing up for one moment in your life. It's gonna create a chain reaction, and I like to believe in that versus thinking, "Oh, that person's being performative because they haven't spoken up in months." But we don't know what else they've been doing. You know, we really don't. So why are we putting them on this pedestal again? Right. Why are we giving them? Why are we giving them them so much power when right. we're all just vulnerable, vulnerable human beings trying to figure it out?
0: That's a great point. I, I that is a very good point, and I do think. People are trying to do their best, but also I know people feel kind of at a loss of what to do Mm -hmm. because there are so many things happening. So my advice for people, and I would love to know what your advice would be too, for people that are starting out, it's like, you don't, you can just start by being honest saying that you don't know what to do, but you want to figure out how Mm -hmm. to speak out. So what would you suggest to an influencer that maybe their niche is something that's completely has nothing to do with social justice, but they want to speak out? Like, how would you suggest that they start?
1: Well, I love that advice. And I think as influencers, one of the things I've noticed the most is it, we feel like it's us against the world. Like mm. we don't really, ha- we don't really have coworkers. We don't have an HR team to talk to when things go wrong. With we have ourselves. Or- <laughs> we have ourselves. Yeah. It, it really creates this mindset of us against the world and all or nothing. And just really unhealthy narratives in our own head of, what our worth is and how we seek support. So I think the main thing I would say is seek support, like lean on your other influencer friends and you'll be so surprised the moment you share how much they're gonna share too. Mm. And you can create this environment and create a better, safer space for your niche market or your people that before wasn't there. And you could actually make a wave of a difference for the people that are also feeling just like you are. And hopefully, you know, like you've been doing so much more advocacy than I have, right? Like that's a comparison that's very valid. like I've just recently stepped into the advocacy space. I've been focused on mental health and LGBTQIA, which is advocacy in its own right. Mm-hmm. But you've been putting in the work of information, research, having a podcast, giving yourself up to this place that can really drain you. Yeah. So I also encourage people to look to people like you who have been doing the work so you can get an education, you can learn. And look at people like me and be like, oh, Owen, just start off. I can also just start from any place and work from there
0: that's great advice solid advice I want to uh, uh, recall something that you said about you know when your face is a part of the 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 Facebook mm-hmm. or I don't know if you said campaign or whatever it was but in regards yeah. to the stop Asian hate and that you got a lot of hate from that it's so crazy because I mean I definitely have gotten that in terms of like speaking mm-hmm. out about Black Lives Matter and I've had you know my tweets like published in different things and I've had people freaking like find my email address and write me just oh my hate email right but what's so sad to me about those situations is those two phrases stop Asian hate Mm. and black lives matter Mm -hmm. it's just the basis is so simple stop Mm -hmm. hating on the Asian community and just state that yes black lives do matter it's so minimal
1: (laughs) we're not asking for a lot
0: I mean, it, you can't even stop, you cannot stop hating the Asian community. You cannot just say that Black people matter in this country. It's crazy what people will start to create, like the, like those phrases are on the mm. umbrella and what they think those phrases mean. It's like nobody said mm. that Black lives matter more to anybody else. Nobody says that there's no hate happening to other communities. It's just right. that these are the things that we're focusing right now because these are the communities that are being affected disproportionately, you know. And I just never understand when, like, you got hate from something, you literally are saying stop Asian hate, and then you're coming to me getting it. hate. Yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense. And a lot of the a lot, a lot of the hate is like, Asian hate isn't real,
1: and and then, but then but then they'll be like, your nose is ugly, or you're not even Asian, you're only half, or like, blah blah blah, or like or like just so many things. are, sort of like, you're if i wrote a research paper you would be the resources and examples of why there is asian hate you know what i mean like
0: (laughs) oh my gosh so let's talk a little bit about the the the, the movement of the stop asian hate you know what do you want people to understand and know about it because i think for me you know speaking Mm. from the black lives matter um perspectives When it started to really come to a head, it was more to me like, hey, now it's in prominence, but this has been happening for a very long time. So in terms of like discrimination and prejudice and racism against the Asian community, is that something that you have experienced that you're like, hey, now people are finally realizing this isn't just a brand new thing because of COVID, like it's been an issue.
1: Yeah. COVID and our last presidency just heightened everything that was already happening for yeah. years and years and for centuries. Like there is embedded racism in Asian culture, too. Like Asians who are darker skinned receive more racism and discrimination than Asians who are lighter skinned. Mm. And that's just and I'm sure that's a reflection of the black and white communities. Too. Yeah. Colorism um, is a huge issue. Colorism is I, didn't a real realize, thing.
0: I didn't realize it was in the in the Asian community as well. Wow. It's,
1: it's huge. It's, it's very it's, it's a lot happening in Hawaii, too less like it's the thing is it's more passive right like black voices i feel like are very strong like because your culture is very strong and beautiful Mm -hmm. and it speaks volumes but asian culture is about respect in the family where it's like you don't speak up unless your mom or dad tells you to you -hmm. don't share things unless there's a deeper reason beyond your own personal self individualism and independence is a very much an american cultural thing yeah in asian cultures we don't have that so that's why it's, it seems like it's more passive. It seems like it's not as intense as the Black Lives Matter movement. But that's not the point. It's not about comparing apples and oranges. Right. It's saying that, that the Asian community has been going through this for a long time in so many moments. But what And like in Asian culture, for example, we wear masks no matter what. Like when we have a common cold or in general. I went to Taiwan and Japan in 2019 and they did that. And at first I was kind of like shocked about it because I came from an American background so i didn't really experience that because that was my first time in asia yeah uh, really experiencing the cultures so it was a culture shock for me but then i understood it it came from a place of respect but then when covid hit early in china and japan and all over the the world specifically in asia that's when you started seeing the racial slurs and the comments happening and people were blaming people from asia and i was on a speaking uh, engagement for a travel expo in downtown LA. And a lot of the people that I was working with, they're from uh, China and Taiwan. And they were telling me all the fears they had of their families and the worries Mm -hmm. they had in January. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. Like, it's so scary. And then when it hit in March, I was like, oh my gosh, like people are blaming them. People are blaming them, but they're actually going through the same fears and mentalities too, but they're being blamed. We're being scapegoated because it, so it's happened to happen here and the news share their narrative of what they believe to be true mm-hmm. versus actually what is happening behind the scenes and making it look like the Asian community is to blame. And that's when I think all the attacks started happening and, you know, the, the passive aggressive comments that I've always got, like, I've been called chink. I've been called mm-hmm. people at base, like people at school, in my middle school, high school would give me dental floss and be like, here's your sunglasses for your eyes, you know, like all the time yeah oh my gosh just little and then you know i, I was a tall kid so i was always like at the caboose of the line for school people like be like look out for godzilla like you know just you know it's like those comments they are they hurt you they make Absolutely. they make you who you are and, the, and yeah they stay was, with
0: you for forever that's you. the thing i yeah. can think of things that were said to me fourth grade fifth grade 10th mm-hmm. grade college that i still yeah. like are triggered by and get triggers right by. yep absolutely triggers
1: triggers, and trauma and it's like where children are supposed to be children are pure and they really just absorb whatever the the world gives them so for kids to say this to other kids it's coming from a place of hurt and pain from their parents or their environments that have taught and accepted this narrative that has continued on for so long
0: yeah you know we've talked a little bit about um Christianity and, and our mm-hmm. faith and beliefs. And, you know, I've always pretty much grown it up in a pretty progressive and, and liberal Christian household. And I've been very grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, my, my dad was never much a church person, but my mom is the one that took us to church. But, you know, mm. I was always surrounded by LGBTQ community. Um, there was always women preaching in my church. Like I was never aware of mm. the, the, the hypocrisy and the contradictions until I went to a Christian college. And so my question to you is: Are you consistently surprised? Because I am. I'm always surprised mm-hmm. by how Christians respond to injustice when they're actually the ones that, in my opinion, if you really look at the teachings of Jesus, they're the ones that should be leading the charge mm-hmm. in in you know fixing racial injustice and in fix in wearing a mask because you're protecting your neighbor. So, yeah. how have you responded to see how Christian the Christian community has responded to some of these things that have happened in the mm-hmm. last year? that's an interesting perspective
1: because in my life right now, I don't consider myself Christian. Mm. Like I don't, I don't consider myself wanting to even go step into a church right now.
0: I do not blame you. (laughs)
1: And and there's always a quote that like I would always resonate with. And it's for me, it's, I rather be out fishing thinking about God than at church thinking about fishing. Mm. And to me, that means so many layers of just conviction every day, what you're doing, self-care you're doing the thoughts you're doing like I still pray to God every day but my prayer isn't like going down on my knees and putting my hands together and like looking up at the looking up at the cross like right right that's that that was like my upbringing like really this intensive prayer and I did prayer conditions like 40-day prayer conditions seven-day prayer conditions three-day fasts like three-hour runs to like get build a relationship with God like I did all those crazy activities and things that you do at church workshops and Christian camps that like you shout and scream and you <laughs> cry and you do prayer walks and do all the things to get a connection with God, yeah. and it worked for me in many layers. But in my life now, as a young adult, twenty nine years old, like I am tired, and I have a personal relationship with God. Like God is my best friend in many ways. Yes, but yes. but when I see, and I, that's why I'm saying all this because I don't think it's right to even blame all Christians because every Christian is so different. You know, for every, sure. absolutely. every absolutely every Christian church is so different too. Yeah. Just because I don't I don't accept all the gay people either in the, in the way that like it's like gay people are problematic in many ways. Like, right. 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 Like, it's like we're, we're all individuals. It's not we shouldn't box us into one thing, but it is important to recognize that Christians as a whole are doing something that's negatively affecting this community or this yes. minority community. Yes. That's something yes, that, yes, that's yes. something I really re- I, uh, understand and see.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. And that's more what I'm, what I'm speaking about because yeah, of course, for sure. I think, you know, you can't put every single Christian because I, you know, identify myself as a Christian and I'm clearly very, very progressive, but then there are very conservative Christians, but I guess I'm more speaking about, you know, the basis of loving Mm. your neighbor when it comes Mm. to these certain things. And you do see some people in the Christian community kind of be adverse to it. So to me, that's the Mm -hmm. opposite of what a Christian is supposed to be doing and supposed to be uh, practicing because Jesus would be in the front lines for all of these, you know, for all of these movements for sure.
1: Um,
0: Okay. So for you, how have you not only held yourself accountable, but held, you know, companies that you work with and other influencers accountable in terms of Mm. these, situations, but I'm going to speak more specifically, you know, with stop Asian hate or even LGBTQ issues that I know that you're, you're passionate about. Mm. How have you managed to do that?
1: Well, first, like I said, like for me, vulnerability is my superpower. Like that's what I've leaned into, but also cancel culture is so rampant right now. And it's Mm. so big for every community. And it's like so negative and toxic and it just so not my vibe at all. Like I hate that word. I hate that vibe and it just makes me feel like we're not giving anyone a space to like heal and grow like we're just saying cancel them and then like we're pulling up all these old receipts and messages they did and it's like from 10 years ago where it's like not relevant yeah Yeah. so for me it's like if anyone's gonna cancel me it's gonna be myself like no one's Mm -hmm. gonna cancel me except myself because i have I, i withhold my own integrity and my own values i know myself better than anyone else except for god so i need to cancel myself and learn from that versus anyone else doing it so one thing i've applied to that is on my close friends on instagram which i added you recently to, is i do the thing this thing called cabbage confessionals to my close friends where i like i I like use one of the filters as a cabbage and i literally vent about the week moments of my day in my week yeah yeah. but also i'm so quick to post everything that's happened that day because i have i'm i am a visual learner but also i have really bad memory like i can't if you tell me someone's name or age or a date like i will not remember it. It just it doesn't stay in my brain for some reason. So for me, photos actually helps me relive that moment and go back to that time in my life and mm-hmm. be like, okay, this is what was going through my life. This is what I was thinking that way. So I literally, I'm so open and vulnerable. I share everything, like not just on my po- public posts, my close friends, I share every moment, every like moment that I'm like, oh, this is important to this advocacy or this is important to my thinking or this is something that I really resonate with at the time. So I share it all. So I have like a t- chronological timeline of everything that's happened. So if anyone does cancel me or tries to come for me, I can literally reveal it all. I'm like here, this is actually what I was going through before and during and after. You can decide if you still want to cancel me. I'm yeah. sorry, I will learn to do better. But this is what this is what was happening.
0: Right, that's great because you're you're kind of showing your own receipts and like I've grown since this moment. Like I've given myself the chance to grow. And I think that that's, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I'm not a fan of cancel culture. I think regardless, Mm -hmm. there are consequences for actions. And I think that some people just need to learn that. But if we don't give people, I'm always like, well, what do you want them to do? If you call them out Mm -hmm. on it, great. But are you not going to give them the chance to fix the error or fix the mistake or move on and learn from it? So yeah, I don't like the, the premise. I, let me, let me rephrase. I, I understand the premise of cancel culture. I feel like there's no actual result or end game or point what you know when you cancel somebody it's like okay well do you not want them to grow (laughs) Mm. you know yeah
1: i get that it's it's so true it's like where's the growth then like specifically like with the bachelor and chris harrison like and rachel Lindsay. like i agree that there's major major consequences of the bachelor franchise and what happened Yeah, yeah but also I want accountability. I want actual yes. growth that sh- is shown so the people that really respect and still follow Chris Harris and whatever else can also grow together and also Absolutely. do the work. Because I'd rather, rather have everyone healing together than one person being chastised out and having to do it themselves. And that's not the point of the communities we're building. And that's not the point of this world we're trying to create. Right. If we really believe in God and love and all these values that we've inherited as younger people and younger generations, and why aren't we showing that to the people that are hurting and suffering? Yeah.
0: It's all about grace. It's all about showing grace. Grace. And I think that um, also, you know, when people pull up receipts from like tweets from like 10 years ago, I'm like, can we look at the trajectory of what they've done since then? So like, Mm -hmm. if they're consistent, if they consistently been posting stuff like that for the last 10 years, and it's like, okay, they're probably just a problematic person, and they're not going to learn. But if you can see that they've made changes, and they've done things differently, like, Get, those tweets are irrelevant let's just exactly. not focus on that <laughs>
1: well just like just like the kids that bullied me growing up or the, you know like like if i remember like, i don't remember their faces and stuff but like it's like it's like if they came back to my life I'm like hey i'm sorry i called you godzilla and then like i like blast them on social media like i can't believe this person called me godzilla like now they're trying to have her forgiveness i'm not going to give it to them like yeah. what like that just sounds so gross and tacky to me <laughs> it's like for them to even, for them to even come to me and say, apologize, that must that mean they've done the work. In, yeah, okay. it takes a lot. And like, that means they've been holding on to that too for so long. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, who am I to judge them? Like, it's not my place to judge them.
0: Absolutely. And I think, I think that's a great, great way to, to address those situations. And I know that, you know, as people grow, you're probably going to get more people that, that come back into your life and apologize. And even as your career grows, I'm sure there's going to be people that pop up. <laughs> oh,
1: we will need a whole other podcast episode of past traumas popping up because let me tell you, it's a, it's a lot. My therapist is working double time for me.
0: <laughs> uh, oh Well, I'm glad that, that you are um, in therapy. And that's another thing that you're actually very passionate about is talking about yes. mental health. And I'm very grateful that that conversation is, is more comfortable for people now because, mm-hmm. you know, we're so quick to think that, if we're having issues or we're upset or we're anxious that there's something wrong with us. And it's like, it's a yeah. normal human thing to have those type of feelings. So how have you on your platform really encouraged people to be, feel comfortable talking about mental health or even going to therapy and getting help? Like what right. kind of resources or what kind of messaging do you send out in terms of mental health?
1: No, totally. Like mental health is really my, that's my main focus. Like no matter what happens in my life, what happens, moves in and out of my life, the people, the lives, like mental health will always be my top priority. Mm. And because for me, that's what saved my life and given me grace and love and hope for myself. Um, I, you know, I I have depression. I have anxiety. Um, there are days where I don't want to get up. There are days where I feel very lonely. There are days where I just cry myself to sleep or I can't sleep. And it's, it sucks to, to say that out loud, but I'm really strong and confident in who I am and I've surrounded myself and I do self work, but I share those things because I'm human and I've had moments of weakness that vulnerability wasn't a strength for me and vulnerability was what made me feel like less than and not worthy, but mm-hmm. I would re- I would always reach out for help. And that's something that the Asian community doesn't experience either, is mm-hmm. knowing how to reach out for help. There's a lot of studies and research that say um, Asian therapists are usually pushed and black therapists too and all, black, indigenous people, color therapists are pushed or asked to lean into anyone that's the same minority as them and like give them more support because for any minority to even do the first step of getting a therapist and going into that space to talk about it is a big push. And it's not common, especially in Asian cultures. like, you don't pay money to talk about your feelings. Like that's like, that's seen as like the devil. Like it's the devil's work. Therapy is not important. It's not seen as valuable.
0: Yeah. And I know for for the black community, it's yeah. a, a uh, you know, therapy is is a big kind of taboo issue because oh. it, I don't want to overgeneralize, but a lot of black mm-hmm. communities like, oh, well, you, you don't need a therapist. You have Jesus. You know, you mm. just you just need to pray. You just need to pray to God about it. And it's like, well, you know, I can have Jesus and therapists too. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, it's
1: very similar to the Asian community too, very much because yeah. a lot of Asian communities are very religious. So it's yeah. very similar, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm actually like, and that's the thing is, I, as a kid, I had best friends that supported me. And then as a young adult, I went to therapy, I studied psychology to understand myself. And then as an influencer, um, I started working with nonprofits like the Trevor Project, like GLAD, like It Gets Better, like the Human Rights Campaign, all these uh, queer based nonprofits and brands that gave me a space and a platform to be a voice for others. And mm-hmm. in doing that, it gave me healing and grace. Um, I always, I, I wanted to be a teacher when I was growing up. I wanted to be an elementary school teacher and a principal mm-hmm. of my own school, but I saw the politics and the the political strides of education, public school specifically, and I didn't yeah. I didn't like it. And I felt like mm-hmm. I would be so limited doing that. So for me, I always tell people like teaching, when you teach people, you learn more than when you are learning. So it's important to be in both those positions in your, in your whole life, whatever position yeah. you're doing. So because of my influencer platform, it's helped me connect more with now mental health organizations I'm working with closely. Um, I did a campaign earlier this year called Be Vocal Speak Up. And they do a lot of mental health advocacy and creating resources for that. Um, I'm going to be working with a b- pretty big ma- uh, mental health platform that helps people connect to the, the right therapist because they've learned their whole, they've learned their whole life doing it. That that's one of the, been the biggest qualms or struggles for anyone going into therapy is finding the right therapist. And yes. I have experienced that too. I've been through at least seven or eight therapists. It's like and it speed took me dating
0: of, sometimes. It really is.
1: And <laughs> you, you have to know your worth to do it. Cause sometimes you're like, oh yeah, this therapist, sure. Like they're great. But then you have to really dig deeper and be like, is this therapist right for me? Are, do they fit the things I need for this relationship to yeah. really benefit me? Yeah. Because they're there, there is they're a vessel to help you. Like you're paying them money and they're offering you these skills and knowledge and wisdom and support.
0: Mm-hmm. So it needs
1: to be, it needs to be symbiotic in that sense, because otherwise you're just wasting you, both of your time, you know?
0: Absolutely. Well, Owen, as we come out of this pandemic um, Mm. and we're starting, you know, during the pandemic, we were able to put a spotlight on a lot of these issues because people were home and, you know, (laughs) we were all on social media. Literally. What would you like to see specifically from this new administration in terms of addressing, you know, a lot of these issues that we've talked about today?
1: Yeah, I'm so not a political person, but I'm in politics in the sense that I'm speaking for so many things that are very yeah. polarized and political. So yeah. I, I am in politics in that sense. Yeah. And I think we all need to take more responsibility and really push, push the political parties, push the people in power to really speak for us more by signing more petitions, by, you know, calling them in, not calling them out. Like, you know, they have only, so, they only have the same amount of time as we do yeah. on this earth as far as days and hours and minutes. So, but I do, I just wish people in power and people, who are trying to mobilize communities to do the work. I just hope that we can all like really lean into each other more and figure out actual stepping stones to get to a place of healing and actual advocacy to help minority communities feel included and have equality. Yeah and i i don't really know if to, to be honest i don't really know like this has always been something i've been thinking about but i still don't know the answers at all
0: it's there's it's but hard it's hard to figure it out yeah. but i love the phrase call them in and don't call them out because mm-hmm. if people feel threatened in any way that it, not going to the way to get them in your corner and get them to listen yeah. so i think that that is a huge a huge takeaway mm-hmm. that you just said call Thank them you. in and, and don't call yeah. them out i love that that's i've been, tr- that.
1: been trying trying my best <laughs> <laughs> there's many moments i want to call them out many moments <laughs> oh
0: for sure, for sure. I'm but you've got to take a step back. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, love, let everybody know where they can follow you and keep up with the great work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate
1: this friendship in this space. But uh, my name is Owen Pearson. It's spelled an I, not an E. I always tell people, when you spell my name and you take out the I's, I become my own person. So you can that. find me at, on, on any platform, at Owen Pearson. And I would love to you know keep building community, keep building, keep building relationships that are focused on the greater good. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Of course. Thank you so much. It was wonderful chatting with you. Make sure you follow him because he really does have incredible content and he always shares his heart on social media. And I've been blessed to just to have him come into my life through social media and through Yahoo. So thank you listeners and make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye.